0: Good morning, everybody. Hope you're all doing well. Um, as Dan said, I hope this echoes true. That it's good that when we come up here, you're not going to hear from me. Hopefully, that's the goal: is for my words not to speak at all, but just for God to uh, speak through me. We're going to open up His words so we know for sure that He will be speaking to you. But uh, just super grateful. It's a privilege every time. Uh, I get to come up here. I this is it's a weird thing for me because I don't like to talk, but uh, lo and behold, here I am, a pastor. So kind of kind of get forced into that one. So uh, just grateful for Dan and Dan trusting me to come up here and speak with you all. And I know you guys don't know when I'm coming up, but uh, so it's kind of a surprise. But for for you guys, I, I hope today will be a great day, day of encouragement. Uh, just Uh, what God has laid on my heart. So thanks for being here and being willing to come and worship on a Sunday. It's a big deal. It's an encouragement to us, um, myself, and the other people who work here, the pastors. It's a huge encouragement to see you all week after week uh, coming here, being willing to worship. So today, what I'd like to talk about Uh, I just want to open and I want to talk just for a moment about our culture's fixation on getting results. We're a very result-driven culture. What do I mean by that? So I don't think that we tend to do anything anymore without hoping that we get something out of everything we're doing. Let me explain. So think about it in terms of business. I'm by no means a business a savvy person, so this is for those of you, I know a lot of you have your hand in business in some way, shape, or form, so you're going to be like, this kid knows nothing about what he's talking about. Business practices, though, we don't do anything without knowing we're going to get a result, right? In business, you aren't going to do anything with your business unless you know I'm going to make more money, or I'm going to impact my community in a positive way, or I'm going to build morale among my employees and take care of my employees. You aren't going to do anything unless you know, you're not going to take action in your business unless you know you're going to yield one of those results, right? We, we live in a time and place where, especially now today, we have a very competitive uh, culture as far as just every occupation. But in your businesses, you're competing against other people, offering the same services, selling the same products, all of that. So you need to make sure you're doing things to get a result, right? This makes sense? See, I don't know anything about business, do I? <laughs> Diet and exercise is another example. For people who go on specific diets or take up certain exercise regimens, like they're doing that so that they get a result out of it, either to, you know, lose weight or just feel better uh, in your body, something of that sort, or so that you can perform in a certain way. Those are the results that we're after when we do those things. And here's another thing. If you're on a diet or you're doing an exercise regimen and you're not getting the results you want, you're probably going to end up quitting it, aren't you? Uh, Many of us could could probably attest, like, we've tried out this diet or that diet. There's probably people in here who, like, there's a fad diet every three years. So the ketogenic diet, like, if you heard of that, that's a big one right now. But people, if it's not working for you, you're not going to continue on doing that diet or that exercise thing, right? We do things to get a result. If we don't get that result, we're going to stop or we're going to try something else. One last example. One that I think uh, is maybe not surface level, one that we could understand, but if you take a look at it a bit deeper, if, I hope you will with me, you might understand. So kids today, we, we harp on them for their fixation and their basically addiction to things like their cell phones, social media, television, video games. Like Those are the easy things to harp on your kids about, right? Those of you who have young kids, those are the things that you're usually going to get on them about, right? And, and we try to encourage them to steer away from them because we know the result that is gonna happen from doing those things all the time, and it's usually negative. But what I want you to see just for a moment, this isn't what we're talking about today, but I think kids have a positive purpose behind it, and maybe it's not positive in the grand scheme, but they think they're doing something That is going to help them out. They're doing some. They're doing that in order to get a result, and that result, I think, most of the time, is they want to feel belonging. They want to feel acceptance. They want to be affirmed in in themselves. They want to feel like they belong to something, right? And so, even them in this bad thing, or not necessarily bad, but just not a great thing that they do with their video games, social media, all that. I think their, their desire behind it is something good. They're trying to get that result out of using their social media, video games, all of that. Does that make sense? They're going after that result. And they might not get there uh, by that means, but that's what they're trying to do. So my point is, I don't think that we do much today without knowing that I'm going to get a result. And most of the time, that result is to benefit myself. And so even less of the time are we doing things that are going to benefit somebody else. That, that result-drivenness is usually directed, I want the result for me, not for somebody else, most of the time. What does this have to do with the Bible? Well, <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, I had an interesting conversation a few weeks ago with some students. Uh, if you, if, sorry, if you haven't met me before, my name is Tanner. I work with junior high students here at the church. So I was talking with some students, and I was wondering, you know, of the things that they knew about what Christians are supposed to do, what Christianity, when we live it out, what it's supposed to look like, I wanted to know which things that they knew of were easiest for them to do, or at least in their head, the things that they understood, okay, I can do this and this and this, and that's how I be a Christian. And the the things that they actually said, which it was surprising to me sort of, that they thought were easiest to do were things like giving, so giving of your time, your resources, your talents in serving other people. Those were the things that they claimed out of all the things they knew about Christianity were easiest. And I and I was kind of just like, okay, so why is that? I wanted to kind of probe and you know, as it is with teenagers, it took me like 15 minutes to like get to the bottom of like why that was, and it was really interesting. Once we got down to it, we kind of agreed together. For them, it was because those things, they can see that something is happening. They can see that there's a result as a result of I give a little bit of money, or my parents' money if you're a teenager, give a little bit of money to my church and I can see that I'm making some sort of difference. If I serve other people, if I do something for a friend or a family member or anything, anyone, I can see that I'm making a difference and there's sort of that positive reinforcement that I did something, it was positive, I wanna do it again. So that's why they were thinking those things are easier. So what was interesting, On the side of that was the things that they thought were not so easy, which the things that fell into that category were things like reading my Bible and prayer because you don't see a result every time you pray and every time you read your Bible. Not, maybe this in today's message, just as a caveat, for some of us it's not going to apply because some of you are great at doing things like that. Some of us are not so great at praying and reading our Bible and it's for that reason, I think. That's, that's the, the heart behind my message today is I want to encourage those of us who are discouraged in our life of prayer because we are not getting results and it doesn't seem like it's working, and therefore it seems like it's a futile endeavor, right? It seems like I'm not doing anything, I'm not making a difference, why should I keep doing this? So yeah, one of the things on the not so easy to do list for the teenagers was prayer, and I don't think that we lose that as we go into adulthood. Prayer is still difficult today for those of us who are in the room. And to persist in prayer, especially, is something that would become difficult, because if I don't see a result you know, the first time, it's just like those other things in business or in your diet and exercise. You're, if you don't see a result, a positive result right away, chances of you persisting in it are tougher and tougher and tougher. So that's what I want to talk about for uh, this morning and uh, for the next next week as well. Uh, you can make your plans accordingly. I'll be up here next week as well. So <laughs> we're going to talk about prayer, and I want to encourage you all in, in your life of prayer because I know that it can be discouraging. I know because it is discouraging for me to time to time, okay? I'm not immune to the fact that it is a tough practice to keep a part of my life, and I want to do what Romans 12:12 12, 12 tells us to do, and it says to be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. So we're going to look at what it means to be faithful in prayer. And for this week, we're going to talk about faithful prayer in terms of praying for other people. So praying for other people, as I said, we don't often do things for a result for other people. We're often doing things for a result for us. So we're starting off with the harder of the two between praying for others and praying for ourselves by talking about praying for others this week. So for those of us in the room who are discouraged in our prayer life, or maybe we don't have a prayer life right now because we've been so discouraged, or we've never started a prayer life before, I want to look at what the Scripture has to offer us in terms of guidance and encouragement, as I've said. So, let's begin. Our our Bibles don't actually try to defend the validity of prayer. Did you know that? Just like the Bible doesn't try to defend the fact that there is a God, it's assumed, It's assumed in the Bible that you're not going to be questioning, like everybody in the world does today, that there's a God. The same way we could assume that they don't try to defend prayer at all because everybody who lived at the time the Bible was written was like, yes, we know prayer is a thing and it is worthwhile and it is good and it's something that we're supposed to do. And I think even you could assume that they would assume that it works too. These are all things that are very much questioned in our day and age, though, aren't they? Things like, you know, does God exist? Uh, Everybody in the world is wondering about that. And some of us are, are convinced of one thing and others are convinced of another. Same with prayer. There are many people in this world who if you told them that you pray about things, they would think you are nuts. And it's just the way it is. But our Bible doesn't defend it because it assumes that everybody agrees, yes, it works, it's real, it's a thing that we should all be doing. And so today, it's not my intention to fill that gap and try to convince you that prayer is real and that it works, or even how to do it. That's not my, that's not my intent this morning, and my intention is to just help those of us who are weary in our prayer life, especially in our prayer life for others. So whenever you talk about prayer, you should usually kind of go to where Jesus taught about it, and there's one place that we all probably know that he did, and that's uh, the Lord's Prayer. So if you would turn to Luke 11 with me for a moment. We're going to start there. I'm going to read verses 1 through 13. It says, One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, be your name your kingdom come give us each day our daily bread forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation his teaching on prayer continues though then Jesus said to them suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say friend lend me three loaves of bread a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him and suppose the one inside answers don't bother me The door's already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. There's Jesus' first example of what prayer should be like. His second one, he says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives Here's Jesus' teaching on prayer, and each of those little sections are a continuation. He's talking about prayer the entire time. and The thing that I I was just noticing, and I think uh, we often forget, is that there's a focus in Jesus' teaching on prayer, and how we should pray, and why we should pray, on noticing our spot before God, our place before God in our prayer, and why we should act accordingly in prayer. And how does he begin? His first example is by saying, when you pray, say, Father. That's how you begin. And each of these examples, it kind of gives gives an example of, here's why you should pray. It's because you are in a spot before God in which you are like a child. That's, That's who you call. When you're a child, you call the person you're asking something of, Father, right? And because of that position, you need to ask. And, and in one example, he says, asking with shameless audacity, like a kid would ask for things that are crazy, right? That's the spot that we should be. That's our place before God, and that's why we should ask. In reality, what I'm going to talk about today is a continuation of what Dan Canutes talked about last week in being childlike. That's the whole idea behind prayer. To get prayer and to do it right and to do it well, we have to start by being childlike, noticing that we have someone that we are fully dependent on for each and every breath and everything from A to Z. There's a focus in this teaching of Jesus on noticing our place before God and acting accordingly in our prayer, okay? So that's what we need to come to a realization of. We have this place before God, and we have a, that place to come to him and ask of things on behalf of others as well. Not just on behalf of ourselves, like a kid usually does. They're asking for this, this, and this for me, right? But we as Christians also have the place before God to ask things of him and and, and urge him to do things for others as well. And it's not because I should see myself as extra spiritual from the person I'm praying for, or the group of people I'm praying for, or whatever it is. It's not that I am some superhuman, and because I have a relationship with God, I'm like special, and therefore I can do it. No, it's because, and it's not because I somehow have the power to control God, either. It's because we have a mediator in Jesus himself. Jesus is praying on behalf of us as well, and in this way, we come before God like a child, just like Dan was talking about last week. We come before God, just like Jesus as His child, and ask these things. We might, we might keep ourselves from doing these kind of things, but but like praying for other people and like trying to negotiate with God about certain things. And this is prayer is such a big topic that we can't cover it all. But what we need to see is that we have been given a mind and a spirit, and we've been given creativity to see a potential future for somebody else. And ask God for His name's sake to make that plan pan out. We ha- we have ideas for how we want other people's lives to go, right? Like if you're a parent, for sure you do. If you if you have any sort of relationships at all, you have plan. you, you have a vision, good visions most of the time. Let's just focus on the good visions for people. (laughs) Um, You have a vision for the way that you think their life should go, and to ask God to have that plan pan out is something that we are responsible to do as Christians. You're responsible in in part for the way that other people's lives go by asking God in prayer. So we're going to look at a couple of examples of people praying for others, and just see what we can pull out of them, see what we can learn from them. So the first one, we're going to look at an Old Testament example of someone praying for others, New Testament example. So the first one is in Exodus, chapter 32. We're going to look at Moses praying on behalf of the nation of Israel. So we are jumping into a part of the story that's likely familiar, uh, the golden calf story. I'm going to read chapter 32, verse Starting in verse one, says When the people saw that Moses was so long coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. (laughs) Aaron answered, Take off the gold earrings that your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose er early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drank and got up to indulge in revelry. Revelry sounds like a crazy time. The Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They've been so quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They've bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. So God obviously knows what's happening and is not happy, shocker. Uh, But Moses sought the favor of the Lord, his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people? Whom you brought up out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out, of, them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember, your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. And then here's what happens. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. So here's an example of someone praying on behalf of others. In this case, it's Moses acting as mediator between God and the nation of Israel. So God, a holy God who expects his people to obey him in this huge group of people who are constantly, it seems from scripture, disobeying him, right? And so there's, there's an issue here, and Moses is standing right in the middle of them, So you might be in your prayer life trying to do a bit like what Moses is trying to do in this story where you know, it might not be a group of people, but it might be an individual who you know is disobeying God. They're far from God. And you might be trying to mediate and stand between them and pray for them. This is a tough spot to be because you're, you're, like I said before, you're having a plan for this person. You have a vision of how God can redeem their life and take them back and, and make them a person of true faith, right? But it's, but it's hard to be the person standing there between them. It's very, very difficult. So Moses somehow is committed to the people of Israel, it seems, more so than God. God is ready to cut and say, you know what, I'm going to make a great nation out of you instead, and I'm going to take care of them. They'll be all over. We'll start over with you, Moses. And Moses says, no, I see an alternate way for things to work out. And he even goes as far to ask God to relent, and he gives God reasons for why he should change his mind or consider this situation again. And there's that crazy part in verse 14 where it says, the Lord relented. And every other place in the Old Testament that that word is used in terms of when a person does this thing, it's translated repent. And so in some ways you could say in this situation, this might be something you've heard before, but God changed his mind. God relents. God repents of what he was going to do. He changes his mind from what he was going to do and does not do it. And he does it seemingly because Moses has asked. Moses asked. Moses asked. And he said, here's why, Lord, you should not do this. Moses saw the potential benefit of God sparing the people, and it was for God's name's sake, which is what God ended up doing then, because he realized, yes, the the Egyptians, who are not a holy people, they are not the people I chose, are just going to see what has happened to Israel, see them out in the wilderness, and they're all dead now, and they're going to think, why would that God have done all the work to get them out of there just to have them be wiped off the face of the earth after. There are times in our prayer where it seems like, you know, I, I'm not going to be able to pray a prayer that great like Moses did, where the situation for the people seems so, so bad and so hopeless. And, I, and I'm thinking there before, you know, God and I'm trying to pray for this person or this situation, and I'm thinking, they don't deserve this. It's not, some, it's not a worthy cause necessarily, but I'm going to pray for it anyways. And we're going to read two examples today. This first example, God listens to his prayer, Right? But there are going to be times when God does not listen or God listens or maybe has a different plan, and those are the situations where we need to be okay with the way he sees things going in the plan that he has for those people. But this is a situation where the prayer that Moses asks is granted. We, all, we aren't always going to be that fortunate in our prayers for other people that our prayers are going to be answered, though. Here's something interesting. For those of us who have people around us that are far from God, that are living in sin, they're struggling to believe, or they're just not believing at all, they're they're not expressing faith, and they don't care to have anything to do with faith at all. We we have to, it's our duty, it's our obligation, it's our privilege in a way to have a heart like Moses. Moses saw in Israel his nation, his people. The potential future where their story would bring glory to God and build his kingdom in a great way. Moses knew that the people were undeserving of mercy. You might know those people that in your life that you're trying to pray for that are completely undeserving of mercy. They are not trying to live as God would have them live at all. And yet Moses prayed for them. And he prayed for them despite knowing that God's anger was just against them as well. So you might know, you might be thinking that through, you might having, be having that internal conversation of like, God doesn't even, he, he, he knows, he sees all the things this person does, he sees all the ways that this person speaks and the way they treat other people, and I shouldn't be praying for them because he, he's just in knowing and seeing them as they are. But Moses thought to pray anyways. Moses was committed to his people. He was committed to the nation of Israel. And, he let, and it led him to pray for them before God. And Moses, it doesn't get, give the sense in the scripture that Moses asks this prayer and it, in like a super confident way. Like, yes, God, you're going to spare your people and yada, yada, yada. He doesn't say it like that. It's not the sense that Moses is like sure that he's going to get this prayer answered. On the contrary, he, he seems humble before God. He's saying, Lord, why, why should your anger burn against them? But he simply prayed that God would just grant this one request. In the sense is that he's pleading for God to show them mercy once again, to be a God who is compassionate and merciful. We must see in this story that Moses understood that he's a partaker in the world's happenings. In the situation that he was in, he understood not that he was supposed to just sit back and just kind of watch God take out the whole nation of Israel, though he could have and though he maybe should have, Moses did not believe he should just sit back and just kind of watch it happen. He knew he was a partaker in the world's happenings. He was not under the impression, even before God as he was, and we learn in Scripture that Moses talked to God like he was just his friend like right before him. He didn't have the sense that he shouldn't ask for God to relent and to change his mind. And so, as people of God today, as followers of Jesus today, it's the same for us. You, each and every one of you in this room, if you are people of faith, you are not just bystanders in this world somehow, some way. God has set this up so that he wants us to communicate to him the way we see the future going forward for us and for other people as well. He, he shows us that in the story of Moses. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time speaking my mind about some things, like, that are really small, like at Hobby Lobby, if Katie's looking at something, and I'm like, I don't really like that. I usually don't say anything, right? And in prayer, like, I, I can be the same way. If I see people, and I can go through that whole conversation, right, that I know this person in my life, I, I, they don't necessarily deserve for you, God, to be good to them, I don't want to be the same way. I don't want to kind of shy away and think I shouldn't, I shouldn't pray this because it won't happen. That's not our goal. Let's look at a New Testament example quickly. Acts chapter 12. verse. we we're going to start at the beginning. I'm going to skip through a little way. So tr- chapter 12, verse 1, I'll start reading. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, Put to death with the sword. When he saw that this, met, this was met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four, four soldiers. And Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover, assuming it would probably not be a fair trial, just like Jesus's. So Peter was kept in prison, and here's the important part, but The church was earnestly praying to God for him, earnestly, faithfully. They are praying and praying and praying on Peter's behalf. We're going to skip the whole story. It's a great story of how Peter and God is clearly involved. Peter gets out of prison, and he shows up where the church is gathered. It says this, Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. So here's a story. Here's, Here's a situation where the church just like Moses is mediating on behalf of Peter before God. So here's a different situation. It's a big group of people as opposed to one person and the big group of people, the church, are praying for this one person. And and Peter, we'd like to think is a worthy guy to pray for, right? He's not like, he's not so much like he has his issues, doesn't he? Like we all do. But Peter has his issues. But the church is praying on his behalf, knowing that like he's he's the guy that Jesus said is going to build the church. He's he's like one of our leaders. So they might have had a little bit of self- selfish ambition and praying for him but they're praying for him knowing this this guy he doesn't deserve to be in this circumstance. And so here's here's the other situation that you might be in or you might have been in. It's a situation where you know of somebody who is faithful, who does follow God, who does do their best to obey and to live out a Christian life, and yet they find themselves in a really really unfortunate situation. And those are situations that I, f- I think are more common for us to pray for others because we always are, we're praying for the urgent things, right? We hear of this story, this person has come down with this sickness or this situation is happening to this family. We like to pray for those things. And, and it's good to pray for those things. This is the situation we see here. Again, Peter is a worthy person who's found himself in a tough situation. So you all, I'm sure, know and have prayed for people who are good God loving, God fearing people who are in bad situations. And the church was asking God to step in and change his circumstance. The same thing. They're asking, I see, they're saying before God, I see a different way for Peter's story to play out. He's not, they're thinking, I don't want him to have his life pan out like James is dead, right? Herod just got done assassinating him. Peter is likely on deck for execution, right? I, that makes sense in my head. On deck is sports term, but yeah. Anyways, he's, he's the next guy up, likely. He's planning on taking him up, and because he got some uh, brownie points from the Jews for killing James, he's going to take Peter and do it next. So the church is praying for him. Once again, the church sees an alternate course. They see an alternate future for Peter. They think him dying by the sword is not how this is supposed to pan out, and so they pray to God about it. What's interesting at the end of the story uh, where I skipped down to is that when Peter shows up somehow free at the people at the place where they're gathered, literally probably praying for him in those moments, they can't believe it's really him. Isn't that weird? Isn't that a little funny that it says like verbatim twice in this section that the church was praying for him and they're likely praying that he can escape and then when he shows up they're like, they tell, poor Rhoda, you're out of your mind, right? And and it's just kind of funny. And I think it's not so far off to say that we're a lot like that, even when our prayers do get answered. Again, this is another example where the prayer gets answered, and it's not like they're delightfully surprised. It's like, no, that can't be right. Like, I was praying, and so they should be thinking, you would think uh, that he could show up at any moment, but no. I think that's a lot more true to the way that we go through our prayer life too, isn't it? though we pray for things and though we pray in faith for things, it doesn't always feel like it's going to make any difference. So the church was doing what they were supposed to do. They were praying earnestly, and it wasn't as if they they truly believed that it could work out the way that they were praying that it might work out. Or maybe it was just too quick. I wish I had that problem that I was like, yeah, every time I pray for things, they just happen so much quicker than I thought they would. So uh, if you are that person, if you have that issue, I have a list of things I could give to you to pray for. That's that's not an issue many of us have, but it's it's funny to see just their, their just their thought of Peter shows up and they're like, no, it can't be him. It's his ghost or something like that. Here's a couple dangers I see just in trying to pray faithfully, trying to make sure that we are people who are praying for other people, which is not an easy thing to do. I think in our result-driven world, people are going to scoff at you for praying. They're going to think you're wild and crazy and just you're not a modern person if you're praying to uh, some, some Higher power or whatever however they might want to make sense of it in their heads, they're probably going to say what the church said to Rhoda and that you're out of your mind. And I, I, my encouragement to you all is if you are praying for other people, as we should be, that's, that's the whole point of what we're talking about today, as we should be, I want you to be encouraged and know that if you are just praying faithfully for other people, if you keep on praying despite maybe not getting an answer, not getting the answers you want, It's a good thing. And if you get results, whether it's what you wanted or what you didn't want, you should rejoice and continue on praying. Another danger is in our result-driven world, I think there's a danger that we'll tell ourselves you're out of your mind. We'll tell ourselves because I know that this is something that we hear in our mind as we pray for people in our lives, situations in our lives. We think, man, I've been praying for this for a week and nothing's happening. I've been praying for this for a month and nothing's happening. For some of you, I know you've probably prayed for things for years, and it seems like nothing is happening. But this is the spirit in which we're supposed to pray to God. Pray to our Lord, pray to our Father as Jesus taught us to. If we don't get a definite answer or we don't get a sense from God, you should stop praying for that person or that situation. We should continue on praying. You who have been praying for things for years in this room, continue on praying. Don't let our enemy tell you you're out of your mind for praying for someone else. It is one of the most selfless things that you could possibly do despite, the, despite how ever hopeless the situation in that person's life looks, continue on praying. Don't let the enemy, don't let yourself, don't let the situation not changing change you or take you off that course of praying for that other person. A few things just to wrap up as big ideas for teaching us, you know, what does faithful prayer look like for others? What can we learn from these stories about faithful prayer? Number one, I think faithful prayer for others is what actually builds the kingdom of God. We get the sense, not necessarily from the scriptures we read today, but numerous other places where we read about Jesus praying. You know, Jesus spent some of the most crucial moments of his life in prayer, not not necessarily. He did all the healing. He did all the physical work. You know the stuff that you can see. I'm making a difference. He did all that, but it's it's the scriptures clear to include all the situations and the times when Jesus is alone and he's just praying. And you've got to believe and you've got to think that Jesus most of that time is praying for everybody else. You know he's probably praying a couple times for Lord. I need I need strength doing things like that. But he is praying for us and he was praying for the people around him, for his disciples, for the future of his church. He was praying, I'm sure. The penultimate example of it is him on the cross. As he's being killed, he prayed for everybody who is around him who is participating in killing him. Jesus was not willing to give up even on the people who were taking him and nailing him to a cross. He was not willing to say they're w- not worth praying for. He thought that we were worth praying for. Here's how it builds the kingdom, though. I think it starts to, if I pray for other people, it starts to build the kingdom inside my own heart. I start to feel and I start to look around and probably see other people more like Jesus saw me when I was in need of help. God, God's will... This is something that I just am convinced of. God's will on earth is not always done. That's why he taught us to pray about it, right? your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, God's will is done all the time. On earth, it's done some of the time, a lot less than in heaven though, right? And so if we are to build the kingdom, if we wanna be a part of it, some of of you are people of great faith who want to have an impact on the kingdom and you wanna do all these great things, start charities, help people, do the practical things. Well, the most practical and the most probably powerful thing you could do to build the kingdom is to pray for other people. Number two, faithful prayer teaches us to have compassion. We ought to look around the world at the individuals, the people, the groups of people around us, and feel a sense of compassion over them. Jesus taught us to love your neighbor as yourself, and he taught us to pray for our enemies. Those are probably the hardest things in the whole Bible that it tells us to do, right? And where can we start, like practically, where could we even start to do those things, to love our neighbor and to pray for our enemies. Well, it's just to start praying for them. Praying for your enemies is a super high call. But it forces us into realizing that I was just as lost as that person or that group of people or these this, this pr- group of people who have this idea about how the world works or they have this worldview, whatever. It's going to force you into compassion, into seeing them as Jesus saw us when we were in need of help. It's a high call. But I think if you faithfully pray, if you keep on praying for other people, you're going to grow in compassion. Finally, number three, faithful prayer for others forces us to let go of the outcomes. If you haven't paid attention to any of the service, this would be the one minute to pay attention to. This is the cliff Notes version of what I hope to communicate to you to encourage you, okay? Faithful prayer for others forces us to let go of the outcomes of our prayer. To pray with faith, you know, we get that you, you hear those terms thrown around, faith prayer of faith, whatever, however you might phrase it. It doesn't mean that we pray with some sort of overconfidence, thinking that we can corner God and get an ultimatum set up that he's got to answer this prayer, right? Like that this prayer is going to get answered because I said it the right way, I used the right phrases, I, I really want this to happen. Like that's not what faithful prayer is. We cannot be result driven in our prayer life. We can't. It is not going to stand up to the difficulty that we have and that we see in our prayer, because we aren't, as I said earlier, we, we are not just bystanders in our world, but we are also not in charge, okay? Shocker to everyone, I know. <laughs> We're not in charge, and to, and to be result-driven in our prayer is going to make us be met with just super it's it's going to be so discouraging right off the bat we're not going to always get our result in prayer that we want god has a much better long view for the lives of other people than we do and so yes we should ask but it's not going to always be played out in the ways that we like So we have to depend in our prayer. If we're going to be people of faithful prayer, we have to depend on our God-given love and compassion and mercy that we have for other people because we've been given compassion and mercy and love by God first. All our other motives are going to fall short. All All other fuel that gets you to pray for other people is going to end up running out really quick. We have to be motivated not by getting this prayer answered, but by knowing that God's kingdom is going to be built. And if I, can, if I can pray and ask God for God to do something in someone else's life for his name's sake, that's, that's as good as I can do. And let him handle the outcomes, okay? Jessica, you can come on up. Some, some just practical thoughts as we close today. If, you, if you've struggled or been struggling, or, or have never started to pray for other people, or maybe you don't have a prayer life, a great way to start would just be to write down a couple of names. We've all got the people in our lives that we know we maybe should pray for. Write down their names. Give yourself some accountability in this. Not just that, oh, when they come to mind, though that's something good to make a practice. Write down a few names. Pray for them consistently with faith knowing the outcome is not in your hands, but you can still pray for them. Pray over it, as, as Jesus said, with shameless boldness. Like a child would ask for, you know, a Ferrari in the driveway by the time we get home, like though nobody in Wyoming wants that. A child would ask for something crazy like that. You can, you can do that before God. Something just interesting that you've probably heard before, but I think helps to encourage us in our prayer as well is is that little tagline that we usually put at the end of prayers, you know, in Jesus' name, we're always saying at the end of our prayers. Just something interesting, and it'll help to bring this all around and encapsulate what we're talking about this morning in Jesus' name is not some abracadabra-like phrase that guarantees, like I said, that we can get our prayer answered. That's not what in Jesus' name is. Though Jesus said, and I know it's confusing, he said, anytime you pray in my name, whatever you pray in my name, it will come to pass. It's, it's not meaning that it's abracadabra, this got to happen, God, okay? In Jesus' name actually is more so, I think, for our sake. Because when we say, I'm praying this in Jesus' name, we are reminding ourselves that I am invoking the spot that Jesus has before God at this very moment. And He is God's child, and He's constantly praying on our behalf. He's, he's constantly doing the fancy uh, Christianese word for all that we're talking about today interceding for us. He's standing before God, praying for us. And when we say in Jesus' name, it's us reminding ourselves that I should be praying to this. God that I follow and that I trust and that I love like his child. So remember that each and every time you pray, each and every time that you maybe just out of habit say in Jesus' name, amen, that it should be reminding you this is your father. This is your heavenly father that you're talking to. I should speak to him like he's my father, not like he's some politician or some, somebody that I have to remain proper in front of all the time, he can handle what you have to ask, and he wants you to ask to impact other people's lives as well. You've got to believe that a God who encourages us to be selfless is, is smiling at us when we ask for things for other people. Us selfli- selfish little creatures that he's made that most of the things that we do are for us and us only, You've got to believe he's smiling when you pray, and you pray it faithfully time after time after time for somebody else in your life, somebody that needs it, somebody that needs compassion and mercy and grace. So be encouraged in your prayer for other people. I hope this was helpful, and just to remember this: the outcomes of your prayer, it's, it's not on you. So in these few moments, Jessica and Catherine are going to sing, take some time, think of who you should be praying for, or, or if you should start praying again, let God speak to you whatever he might want to in these few moments. If you want to sing, you can sing. If you need to just take a moment to be quiet, you can do that. And once they're done singing, Dan will pray for us. Thank you guys.
1: Do you pray with me? Father in heaven, as we're in the sanctuary this morning, or as someone's watching online, with our heads bowed, in humbleness for you, our great Savior, our God, our Father in heaven. This is a good, encouraging word that we heard this morning, Lord, but it's hard. Because I think sometimes we try to pray in our own strength. We walk on this earth by your grace and by your mercy. And we should pray the same way, by your grace and by your mercy. Then we will know that you do see us and that you do hear us and we will not grow weary in our well-doing. I know people that are listening this morning to the sound of my voice and to Tanner's preaching this morning. Lord, I know there are several that have given up. I know that feeling. I know the discouragement of not having your prayers answered the way we want them answered or answered at all, it doesn't seem. But I pray, Lord, that we always remember that the joy is that we get to go before the throne of grace because of what our Savior Christ has done for us. When the temple curtain was torn and we have access to the Father because of what Jesus has done for us, may we never take that for granted that that's what gives us the opportunity to pray. So, Father, as this message lands on us this morning, I pray by your grace that you would remind us that we would take our pastor's advice this morning and that we would write down a list of people that you've laid upon our heart these last few minutes and that we pray not by results driven, not looking for certain things to happen, although we do want them to, Lord. We continue to pray because it's the right thing to do before Christ and before our Father. This morning, help us to be Christ-like in this. That we would go off in our quiet place and that we would pray to the Father exactly like Jesus would do multiple times through scripture. And may we always find encouragement that you know that we know, Lord, in our hearts that you see us and that you hear us and that you have good for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Love you guys. You're dismissed, everyone. Have a great day.